It's time to breathe new life into the social entrepreneur by empowering you to make a living through fulfilling work that will impact lives. You'll make money, but more importantly, you'll make a difference. Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast. It's time to build a business with purpose. Now here's your host, Adam Force. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your host, Adam Force. Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast Show. Um, I am really pumped up about today. We got a number of cool announcements, and this is a special episode. It's kind of a first of a kind, if you will, um, and here's why. So you guys send us emails. You ask questions, um, and you, t- you share your stories. So in particular, in this case, uh, this was a response to one of my emails. So if you're on my email list, you might have seen this, and I will say, hey, tell me your story, reply here. Um, you know, that kind of thing. And so, yes, I do read these stories. Somebody wrote in and the story I read was powerful. It was exciting. It was inspirational. Um, and she's been through an incredible amount of uh, experiences. And her name is Ifit. And Ifit, I'm really sorry. I'm going to try to pronounce your last name. I forgot to ask you exactly how to pronounce it. It's Koreshi. Um, and she is from uh, Oslo, Norway. And she has just done so much incredible incredible work starting out with writing um, you know there was some terrorist attacks in Oslo and a lot of discrimination against minorities and things like that going on so she was writing about human rights and it was her way to share her voice um, she went through some really traumatic experiences that she's gonna uh, talk about with us today um, that changed her life and she got these ideas and she started just growing and growing she did a TEDx talk um, and so I don't want to dive into too much because she's gonna she's gonna talk about what she, what happened and why she's doing what she's doing and, and where she's going um, and it's a really exciting story so stay tuned hear what she has to say again this is someone from the audience they shared their story um, and now here we are I got on the, I got on email with her and we jumped on the line we did an interview so we could share it um, so uh, with um, the other thing I wanted to talk about is we uh, just released the ninth edition of Change Creator Magazine. So if you haven't popped it open yet, definitely check it out. Guys, the, the articles that have been coming out are really, really exciting. And we put so much time and so much effort into building these magazines because um, it's it's some it's premium content. And we're trying to bring you insights from people like Dale Partridge, Tony Robbins, but also very relatable social entrepreneurs. Um, you know, Ned Tozen, um, he's in the ninth edition along with Dale Partridge. Um, Ned Tozen is helping 65 million plus people around the world who are off the grid without electricity. Dale Partridge started I think almost 10, 11, or even 12, um, you know, uh, businesses that became multi-million dollar businesses. And he's also a best-selling author. Um, he wrote the book, People Over Profit, which is what originally caught my attention. So he's in that mindset. He's putting people over profit and he's building awesome businesses. And now he's helping other people build their businesses because he has this process, this formula that is clearly working. So really powerful content. Check it out. Um, the other other exciting news is starting in July, you know how it goes, hopefully timing works out, we are rolling out an updated version of the magazine and it's going to be a totally different experience. And guys, this is based on your feedback. If you're on the email list, I sent out a survey. Make sure you fill out the survey because we need to know what you're thinking. I I look at the magazine as our magazine and I want you to participate and have a say in 
in how it uh, is presented to you and what the experience is like, what kind of content is in there so that it's, you know, helping you and giving you what you're looking for. Uh, that's obviously really important. So this is the opportunity. When I send out those surveys, it's not just about Change Creator. It's about everybody who is participating. Uh, it's, it's an us thing, okay? So definitely check that out, and you're gonna really love the updates. It's gonna it's gonna open up a lot of different doors and, and a better experience for everybody. Uh, so keep the feedback coming, guys. It's just priceless, and we really really appreciate it. So without further ado, let's dive into this conversation with Ifit and hear her incredible incredible story um, that will inspire you uh, to to get up and take action. Hey, Ifit, how you doing? Um, really appreciate you joining the Change Creator Podcast Show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. This is uh, such an honor. Yeah, well, I gotta tell you, just to tee everybody up a little bit, um, you know, we we do some some emails out to people that come out to our website or join our podcast, and sometimes people write in. And if it was kind enough to share her story, and um, it's quite a powerful story. So here we are today to talk about it and share it with you guys who are listening. Um, so just just to give people some context, um, if it, if you could just give a little bit of background, um, you know, before the humans of Oslo, which we're gonna explain to people in a little bit, you know, what were you doing, and just just give that context if you don't mind, so people know where you were at, and then we'll start diving into some of the things that you have been doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I worked as a civil servant, uh, what you would refer to as an unemployment office here in Oslo. And I had been doing that, doing that for quite a few years, and it was a job that I enjoyed. I held my own courses. I was helping people to have more confidence, get back out to work, or people who were maybe refugees who were being, you know, pushed around from one office to another and not being able to get any help at all. So I felt like I was going in a good. I was on a good role career-wise. Um, so that's basically what I was doing before I started Humans of Oslo. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you, you mentioned a few of the challenges that you've had um, during the past, you know, I don't know how long it's been. I don't remember, but maybe past 10 years or so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, when I uh, in 2006, um, I I mean, 2005, 2006, I used to write a lot of articles in the Norwegian media. I was very uh, a prominent voice in the in the Norwegian media talking about issues regarding discrimination, about human rights, mm-hmm. about extremism, terrorism. And uh, just so I, was I know, though, psych- why, were you, why were you really involved with writing about that stuff? Like, what was driving that? Well, the thing is, is that Oslo at that time was a very um, tough place to be because of the discussions regarding the war on terror. Mm-hmm. And there was this very negative fo- focus on people with minority background, especially visible minorities. And if you are Muslim, that was even tougher. And it used to bother me that my son would come home with all these stories about what he'd experienced at school. And he was very young at the time. So I kind of like felt it was my duty and also based on my own experiences from my own childhood. I mean, as you can tell from my voice, I, I'm born and brought up in, or I come from Glasgow. Mm. Um, so the fact that my son would be experiencing similar kind of issues really got to me. So I wanted to do something and make people more aware of that there's not just one narrative, you know, there's not just one story when it comes, when it concerns minorities, we all have something more in our backpack, you know, it's not just that label as a Muslim or just a label as an immigrant. 
Um, so that's why I was concerned about those issues. And I was doing an awful lot of interviews at the time as well with with uh, with minority groups, asking them about their experiences of discrimination. And some of the stories really horrified me. Mm. Um, so therefore, I kind of like felt it was my duty to to speak up. And if I could write, then why not use that, you know, use pe- peaceful methods and try and get people to open up and, and, and realise that women, that we're actually living in a society which is, for everybody, and not just for one home, home you know, uh, uh, one Norwegian ethnic group. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's why I started. Uh, so it was more based on experiences, my own experiences, my son's experiences, people around me who'd experienced discrimination, which was preventing them from finding work. Uh, so that's why I started writing, and uh, many of my articles ended up uh, on the front cover of the newspaper. Uh, I was offered a book deal, um, and then in 2006, when I was in a good role, I was cycling uh, back to work because I was both working as a civil servant, and I was writing these articles. And this car came out of nowhere and just, you know, knocked me right over, and I had a broken back, damaged neck, and uh, severe concussion, and uh, damaged my arm and my hip. And Suddenly, I went from being extremely active, very sporty, cycling everywhere to lying in a hospital bed for several weeks with a with a body brace and uh, a brace around my neck as well. And I was very sensitive to sound. I uh, sustained a severe uh, head injury uh, because I wasn't wearing a helmet. <laughs> Uh, and uh, yeah, so suddenly it was like I wasn't able to be around people and. I mean, it took, it, you know, I couldn't listen to the news anymore or, or read. Um, and it took me, you know, a good few months before I got back up again and started writing and, and being active again. But still then I was a little bit more careful when I was around people and if there was too much noise. Um, but I remember lying there uh, with this body brace on and one day I was so furious. I'd been lying in bed for about five weeks. And I took off the body brace and flew, you know, flung it on the other side of the room. And then I realized I couldn't get up. Yeah. I couldn't walk. And I was home alone. So I had to wait like two, three hours before anybody could come for me, you know, because I was waiting for my son to come home at that point. He was 11. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember when he walked in through the door, he just stared at me because I had all, you know, I'd been crying so much because I was in so much pain because the body brace actually stabilized stabilized my yeah. my back <laughs> uh, and uh, and so he helped me to put the body brace back on and I realized that wait a minute I have to just sail this one through and just bite my you know bite my tongue and just accept this is where I am now and it was then I understood what patience actually meant and being in the present being in the now and taking one hour, one day at a time. Yeah, yeah. Let's pause there. Let's pause right there. Um, I think you gave a lot of information, and we're going to tap into some of those next steps um, after po- after your injury. Um, but there's one thing I wanted to ask you before we get into that is, so, you know, when you started writing about these issues before your accident, um, I, I guess that's kind of like for some people, it's, it, it's these things that you, you feel frustrated or inspired about certain scenarios, but they don't take, they don't actually do anything. You know, they don't start writing and, and, and submitting things to publications and doing this work. Um, so I just want to give you a sense because this is kind of like for you, it's kind of like 
you had this this burning like need to talk about this and contribute and you started actually doing something and it was something as simple as just writing right and so what did that do for you um how did that benefit you did it start you know a lot of times like with that you do research and stuff so you're 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 learning you're growing as a person what were the benefits to actually take picking up the pen or getting on the computer and and writing um initially mm-hmm. I mean, when you get your first article printed, you're on a high. It's unbelievable. You know, it's this rush that you get to actually see your name in print. And you yeah. never thought that was possible because finally, it your words have meaning. It's not just something that you're having a discussion with close friends. You know, you're actually, it's actually going out to a wider audience. Yeah. And the response was incredible. The number of people that wrote to me, the number of people who were grateful for the article that I had written that actually made me realize, wait a minute, my voice does mean something. It's not just something that's happening in a cocoon. So what ended up happening there was that I became very aware of what I read, how I worded myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I suddenly realized that my that my words actually had meaning and had weight, which was something that they never had before. Right. So people were asking me to come to talks, to participate in panel discussions. I was asked to write more for different newspapers. And suddenly, before I knew it, I was developing up to about 12 articles a month, which is wow. a lot. That's a lot. And then I was, <laughs> yeah, and I was also looking at alternative news. Not, I'm not talking about alternative news as the way it's used today, but at that time, I didn't just look at the Norwegian mainstream media for my input. I ended up searching for articles, you know, in research, uh, anthropo- anthropological, anthro- anthropological mm-hmm. uh, coverage as well, and um, reading other stuff from other parts of the world to try and put it into the context that I was in here. Yeah. So let's say, for example, Stuart Hall from the UK was very important. Reading um, Edward Said from the US, uh, reading Noam Chomsky, reading other people that would have been, you know, Norwegians would have benefited, yeah. benefited from reading. So, yeah. That's, that's amazing. Um, and yeah. yeah, twelve articles a month is a lot. So, I mean, the articles. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious to see what your first couple articles were. I don't know if you still have mm-hmm. links or access to them. Um, maybe yeah, we, we I could do. even share access for people to check them out to see your your initial articles because it sounds like they were very well received. If you were being asked to do speaking engagements, um, mm-hmm. was that random or were you trying and actively seeking speaking engagements? No, no, that was random. That was really surprising. <laughs> and I remember I was in the debate and I was quite vicious in debates. Um, I was very direct and I would say exactly what I meant. And I was completely unafraid because in the back of my mind, there was something bigger, you know, that I, there was a bigger cause there. It wasn't about me. It was about the cause in itself. Right. It was about fighting for other people's rights, people who were being oppressed. So that's where I really put myself out there and that was what was driving me. Mm-hmm. So so when I was asked to talk at, for example, the protest festival or to talk at Amnesty International when they had a talk here in Oslo um, and other engagements, it was, uh, it. I felt an enormous amount of responsibility, which I, which I still carry with me with the work that I do now as well. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. So, okay, so now we're going to fast forward back to where you were and Mm-hmm. You had this terrible accident. You were hit by a car, broke your back. Um, this really put your did this put your writing on hold? I guess. 
Yeah, it did at least for about half a year, but then I managed to get back on the horse again and and start writing. It was how, how did you deal with the psychological implications? So yeah, you I, I I know you got back on the horse, and and I I just mm-hmm. find this impressive already. You know, you're out of commission, like you said, from being a very active person. You get hit by a car. I mean, the the psychological impact is kind of severe in those situations, especially when mm-hmm. you're bedridden from a broken back. So you're laying there, and it, it, for people who are healthy and active. Um, and they're not taking action. They're not as motivated um, to contribute, or they don't feel like maybe they can contribute. Um, you know, that's hard enough as it is. But now you're totally <laughs> out of commission. Um, how do you overcome an obstacle like that? And what was your mindset at the time? Did you go through depression and like over have to overcome those types of challenges? Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, one of the interviews that they had done with me in a major newspaper in Oslo was where I was standing on top of this table dancing during the the World Cup, you know, and then three, four weeks later, I was bedridden, you know, and, you know, in this uh, hospital and not able to function. Um it was a shock for me in the beginning, you know, when, when they gave me morphine and I was on a high and, you know, not aware yeah. of what was going on around me, then, it, you, you know, those first few weeks were fine. But then after that, when I was weaned off the, the morphine tablets and, and given like normal painkillers and stuff, then it really hit me hard. And I remember having these nightmares about somebody coming in and, uh, you know, killing me and and taking my child. There was those kind of awful tr- nightmares I would have, which I never had before, which just shows how how uh, how how you know weak I felt or how helpless I felt because I wouldn't be able to look after my son because I was his sole provider. Mm. And and then there was also the fact that I would get lots of invita- invitations to go to different events, to participate in, you know, yeah. uh, talks or to go to even a simple thing as a birthday party. And I would have to say no. And I thought that was it. My life was over because now I wasn't able to um, earn an income. I wasn't able to function properly. I couldn't participate socially. And I remember... Uh, one time I had this brace on and people were giving me really weird looks because of the way that I was walking and I was completely lost because I didn't know where the shops were and this was an area I had lived in for 15 years yeah so so yeah definitely I had I had depression and uh, I was even put on antidepressants for a while Mm. which had no effect whatsoever because I had a brain injury I didn't have depression do you see what I mean like so uh uh-huh so, so the brain injury was actually the reason behind my depression. And if they had dealt with that, maybe then I wouldn't have been in such a terrible state because suddenly I wasn't able to help my son with his homework anymore, you know. Right, right, right. So, so you know, uh, the depression was there. But uh, as I mentioned, when I picked up the, the brace and threw it across the room, it was then that was a turning point for me because I realized I had to be patient. If anything, the only thing that was going to help me through this was the patience and realizing that I had to take every hour and every day as it came. Mm, yeah. And, so, and yeah. I was just going to say, so you, is this now I'm trying to remember the order of your events and when did this idea of, um, you know, humans of Oslo start coming to mind? Was there something <laughs> something before that? I, I know you went through a couple yeah. of events here, so just give me the, the sequence yeah, yeah. and how you got there. Yeah, I'm, I'm laughing because, um, because when I eventually, like three years later, got back to work again, 
that was in 2011. Uh, uh, in 2012, yeah, 2011, there was the terrorist attack in Oslo, um, which I'm so sure that you guys have heard about, yeah. where there was uh, over 70 children that were murdered uh, by this uh, Norwegian uh, terrorist called Anders Beringbreivik mm -hmm. and he had also bombed the the government building and that had a, such a profound effect on me and I was asked by the media at that time would you please you know write something um, even Al Jazeera called me as well and I said yeah. no I, I decided to stay quiet I decided to not say anything because I felt there was nothing that I could express in any shape size or form that would give any comfort to any of the families who had missed their who had lost their their children right. uh, so all i did was just be an observer and um and then i was going into work i was back at work again in the unemployment office and doing what i enjoy doing which is holding courses and i fell and managed to damaged my hip again, damaged uh, my neck, and I sustained another head injury. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, when it, this is going to be fine. I mean, I haven't been hit by a car. I'll be fine. Yeah. And before I knew it, I couldn't function at all. And I was lying in bed, staring at the ceiling, you know, and it was just simple things like being able to eat was a challenge. And nobody could understand what was wrong with me. And it took them many years before they said, you know, you had sustained another head injury, which is a reason to why you fell back. Right. right. Um, but I remember I had contact with a couple of friends at that time because suddenly again, I was back in this cocoon where I wasn't able to meet friends and, and be sociable again. And, and one of my friends showed me the Humans of New York page. And I remember just there and then I realized that's what I want to do. If I'm not able to write anymore, because now suddenly I'd lost the capacity to read and write, I decided, when well, I'm going to use photography as my medium, mm -hmm. and I will write short articles about people's lives. And all I would do was take out my camera, go out and stop random people. And that's one of the things that this head injury had given me was this kind of childlike view of the world. <laughs> it was like I was completely... Um, I had no inhibitions whatsoever. I would go up to anybody and ask them questions about their life. <laughs> <laughs> and I would share stuff about my own life as well, which made them open up. And suddenly, before you knew it, I had mastered the art of talking to complete and utter strangers on the street. And I had done 2,500 interviews over a period of three years. Wow. And in a country like, in a, in a city like Oslo, that's a challenge. It's not like New York where people say, hi, how are you doing? And suddenly before you know it, you're best friends and having a conversation. Yeah. In Oslo, people are very kind of like, they kind of like keep you at a distance and they, you know, they don't want you too close. But there was something about the way that I approached people as well that they couldn't help but smile back, you know. Mm, okay. And there was... Yeah, there was everything from a young girl of 16 telling me that, you know, I asked her a very simple question, which was, and I don't know why I asked her. I just said, have you experienced anything tough in your life uh, over the past three months, which has changed you as a person? And her reply was, yes, my mother committed suicide three months ago. Wow. Yeah, and that was crazy. And I have that interview in the book that eventually Humans of Oslo became a book. Yeah. Uh, with with interviews with people and and I think that um, you know that experience in itself you know the head injury I mean I was in so much pain and I still am but 
instead I turned the pain into my friend, so to speak. It was, it was something that was there. Instead of fighting against it, I decided to just embrace it and say, this is part of me now. Yeah, yeah. Because it wasn't going anywhere anyway. Uh, so I just decided instead of lying in bed and being unhappy about this, I was going to do what I could to try and do something better for society. Do you know continue where I was before, but use another medium to express what I wanted. And this time, instead of talking about racism, discrimination, and about you know give us our rights, I let people talk for themselves about their own life experiences. And to be honest, I was able to reach out to more people about what we have in common and open more hearts than what I was able to when I was writing my articles and pointing my finger at people. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. So mm-hmm. I, I, what, what is a big takeaway you've, you have from all those interviews um, for Humans of Oslo? Is there any trends or interesting things that stand out to you? I mean, like on a personal level, I'd have to say that I've changed immensely where when I meet people, I don't have any preconceived ideas. I've, I've understood that I have to have a very open mind. Um, I would also say that everybody wants to be seen. It's unbelievable, you know, even the old grandmother who in the beginning doesn't want the interview to finally tell her whole life story to you know, the, the the man in a suit who prefers to stay anonymous and who's an, account, an accountant, you know, and that's all he's done all his life. Yeah. But once you start scraping on the surface, you realize that, you know, this is a man who used to, when he was a kid, used to hip hop, you know. Uh, he was <laughs> he was uh, jailed by the police because he had a skateboard because in, in Oslo uh, or in Norway, skateboarding was forbidden. You know, this was in the 80s. Yeah. So, so you know, you know, you just challenge people, and uh, there was also learning that there's nothing, you know, you don't have to be afraid to share your story, um, because the only way that you can get people to open up is when you share something of yourself as well. So it's this free flow of of experiences and uh, uh, feelings, and I think that that's what it was that resulted in being able to get so many people to open up, but. I would basically say that everybody wants to be seen, everybody wants peace, everybody wants love, everybody is doing what they can to try and create, you know, something better for themselves or their family or their community. And it can be the smallest things, and that's why I say that every single person is important. You know, there's nobody's story which isn't worth listening to. Right, Mm -hmm. right. And and I guess it's curious, it makes me curious because... I guess it helped you grow as a person. Um, and you said a book came out of this, right? Mm, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, like sometimes they say, oh, you know, uh, open yourself up to the universe and the yeah. universe will deliver. And, yeah. you know, a lot of people talk about that. Now, I didn't really believe in that, you know. <laughs> but, but because uh, what I did see was that constantly every time I went back to work, I was, you know, in another accident and suddenly, and it was so severe that it wasn't like something small. It would result in me being, you know, in this bubble for months, you know. And um, I remember what I did learn was relaxing to just, if something happens, it happens, you know. And I think that some people would say, oh, that's you, deli- you know, letting the universe deliver to you. And maybe it is. But but what I had learned was instead of constantly thinking, because thinking exhausted me, 
I would just let things happen. And I remember I just had this really successful exhibition and over 300 people came to that exhibition and I was in the news, I was in the newspaper, I was on the front cover of several newspapers at that time. And uh, suddenly uh, there was this lady who had called who'd asked if I was interested in a book deal. And it was a very small publishing company. And I remember I said to her, oh, that's interesting. And we took several weeks before we came to a conclusion. And I remember thinking to myself, but something better has got to come of this, you know. There's got to be something. I'm so sure there's something better and bigger out there because I wasn't quite ready to, you know, have this deal with her. Right, right. And uh, I had just come back from doing a talk and I came home and I thought, you know, I wonder when that break's going to come. And then I saw that there was this, uh, <laughs> there was somebody had called on my mobile, my mobile phone. And uh, I thought, should I call them back? Or I thought, okay, I'll just call them back. It was like seven o'clock in the evening. And uh, I told the person who I was. And then the man said, uh, I'm calling from one of the largest publishing companies in Norway. Would you be interested in launching your book through us? <laughs> and my response was, well, you took your time calling. That was my response. Oh, my God. <laughs> how Instead of about that? He laughed. He just burst out laughing. <laughs> and, and then... Um, I had this wonderful team to work with and, you know, working on the book was so fantastic. And I mean, I had this thing where I don't really, um, I don't put out there, oh, this is fantastic news. You know, I normally work with it. You know, I am ready to go on to the next project. You know, I will see what the outcome will be when it happens. I don't count my, you know, I don't count my chickens until they've hatched, you know. Yeah. So... There's something about being a little bit humble where I am at that moment, which I think is a good thing as well. So the Humans of Oslo project, it took quite a long time before people realized who I was, you know, uh, yeah. because I waited at least a couple of years before I mentioned that I was behind the project because I wanted the focus to be on the people. You know, if I was to launch the book, I wanted the focus to be on the people who were in the book and not the fact that I was the right. the author. Mm -hmm. And... So when the phone call came through from Ted TEDx TEDx Oslo, that was I was really overwhelmed at that point. I couldn't believe that they had called. Mm. Mm, okay, so that came to you versus you going to seek it out. Yeah, that was also where I kind of felt okay. You know, uh, you, you know, I always felt like you know something more should come of this, but also it was my own fault too because I. I stayed in the background in a way as well, you know, I didn't promote myself as much as, you know, I should have. Um, but I really believe that if you're doing something good, if you're doing something which is valuable to other people, instead of ranting and raving about it in some video, people will find you and they will see your worth anyway, you know, and yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I, I, I agree with that. And it's an interesting, that's an interesting talking point. Um, you know, I I, 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 listen, I talk to a lot of different entrepreneurs and, and you get a mixed bag when it comes to that. It's, you know, do you, how strategic do you have to be in planning out? You know, it's like almost like you can look at yourself. Let's take it a step back. You were doing things for certain reasons that meant something to you and based on your life events. So they shaped your activity, right? And, yeah. you know, you're in a place where you have some people who are saying, all right, my strategy would be 
I'm going to do this, you know, Humans of Oslo, and then I want to make a book out of it, and I think that should be newsworthy, and then I could do a TEDx, and they would strategically, you know, plan these things out. Whereas mm -hmm. you were saying, I focused on one thing at a time, saying I'm putting my, my, my energy towards just doing these interviews and making sure the emphasis is on the people. Um, and I, it sounds like because your, your, your mentality was really about um, you know, helping others, right? And it was not about the strategy to get your personal exposure and money and things like that, that the, the, the exposure came because of it, because your quality was really good. Um, and I guess that's because you, and it's a, it's a tough thing for people to do. It's like, how do you help others? How do you give? Um, that's when you'll get, right? So it's, mm -hmm. it's a tough business perspective for people. And it sounds like that's exactly mm -hmm. what happened to you is you were just mm -hmm. focused on the right uh, thing, which was not money, which is always an important thing in life, but it was about your, your why, your mission and what you were trying to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I mean, I had, you know, I had witnessed um, people who had uh, lost their dear ones at you know, on the uh, during the the terrorist attacks in 2011, uh, my son was downtown at the time when the bombs went off. Um, I was there when the sirens went off. Do you know what I mean there was the humans of Oslo was going to show what the city had to be proud of and what we had of cohesion after what this terrorist tried to destroy. You know, so this was like in the back of my mind constantly. So. Uh, I didn't think of any book deal until somebody mentioned maybe we should try getting you a book deal, and I thought, yeah. well, do you do you really think somebody would be interested in my photography? That was my response, you know. Yeah. I knew that I had a large following on on Facebook. I, I had that, um, but to go to the next step with a book, I didn't know. You know, there was this constant lack of confidence there, you know, because I didn't know whether I would be able to pull it through, but. Obviously, I was because I'd done so many interviews. I was completely unafraid. But when it came to putting focus on me, it, it I took a step back. Right. And 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 there is something about I, I really think that there is something to be said about when you do something from the heart, because when the goal is only money, there's not that same honesty in the work that you're doing. That every connection that you make will be purposeful it will be purposeful it will be something which will be gainful for you yeah. which makes you also lose sight of other people along the way that maybe don't have a name that maybe don't have a position that also could be useful that you're useful to them or they're useful to you and I can give you an example for example I can sit in a coffee shop and somebody will see me and say aren't you not the one that run, runs Humans of Oslo and then we start a talk we start talking and Often it's people who are curious to know how I started. And then when I start, you know, scraping the surface again, I find that this is somebody who has been locking, lacking self-confidence, doesn't know where to start, doesn't know how to go about, you know, working with what they want to do. And they're, at a, you know, they're at a, at a crossway. Uh, and when they leave the conversation with me after half an hour, one hour, they've got a whole business plan and they've got so much motivation and drive. Mm. So... You know, if my focus had just been, because, I mean, Oslo's pretty small, you can meet so many famous people. If my focus had just been on that famous guy who's sitting across the table from me and not the woman who's sitting in front of me that just might benefit from having a conversation with me or me having that conversation with her, um, I would lose, do you know what I mean? I would, 
lose these people along the way that actually enriching me as a person because I could reach it, read about the famous person in any magazine or any time, any place. Yeah. But what's, the, uh, what, what's everybody else doing along the way that would enrich me as a person as well? Right. You know? Right. So, yeah, I like mm -hmm. that. I like being keeping things relatable and authentic. Um, you know, it's not just about mm -hmm. the person that became famous, you know. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because <clears throat> I, I've, I ha I've had a really successful exhibition right now called Activists. And I've done interviews with people who have created change in Norway. And it's everything from within the LGBT community, within feminist movement, to the black rights movement. And the backdrop is Martin Luther King and how his legacy has affected movements here in Norway. Right. And, uh, and it was incredible. Again, there was over 300 people that came to the exhibition. Um, but, I mean, I could have easily have focused on famous people like Malala or Dalai Lama or... But I wanted to use people within the communities that had done something that would inspire change because it's so much easier to relate to somebody who's within your own community, yeah. who's close to you than somebody who you only see on BBC or CNN or, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So you've overcome a lot of adversity. And I think people listening, um, you know, you, ha you have a powerful story, you've gone through a lot. Um, but at the same time, you've accomplished a lot. Um, what advice would you give somebody listening about overcoming fear, you know, which paralyzes you from, you know, taking an action or moving forward with something that you're, you're passionate or interested in? What, what, mm -hmm. what kind of, um, you know, or they have life challenges in their own life, right, with family mm -hmm. or their marriage or who knows what's going on. How do you mm -hmm. overcome these obstacles? What was, what did you learn about overcoming fear and, and, and challenges mm -hmm. like that? Mm -hmm. um, I would say that it was having that internal dialogue with yourself. And that's something that takes it can take some practice is actually listening instead of going with the fear, actually talking to yourself about what's happening, about why you feel the way that you do. Um, I can actually give you an example because um, uh, last year, or let me see, 2015, I went into the shop. It was just after the launch of the book and I was attacked by this woman in a handbag shop, physically and verbally attacked. Mm. And I had three broken ribs at the end of it. Um, it was uh, it was a it was a hate crime, uh, and I remember the openness that I had before when I used to walk around in the streets of Oslo. Suddenly, that was gone. I was terrified constantly. Wow. So yeah, and it, it is it's something that happens out of the blue, and you know you're completely shaken up. And that's why I say is that most of the things that have happened to me have been really traumatic, and it's been you know it's changed me completely. So what happened was that I ended up having those internal dialogues with myself about the fear, was it real, and to rationalize with myself. And that also comes to when it comes to, you know, Humans of Oslo, the projects that I've done, the times with that little voice, that niggling voice that maybe we've had from childhood tells us when you're not able to do this, because I was told when I started school, uh, and also when I finished school as well, uh, quite early, when I was about 16 years old, I was told that I would never become anything and that I would probably just end up in some grocery store uh, working there. And that's what I believed that I would end up doing. But no, that's not what happened. Mm -hmm. so, so there's something about confronting that inner voice, um, not allowing that fear to take you over. And when it does, have somebody to talk to, which is so important to have people on your side 
that are rooting for you. Because yeah. those people, you don't do these. What I've done, I haven't done alone. If it hadn't been for my son, if it hadn't been for my friends, you know, I don't think I would have managed. I mean, the woman who saw my pictures the first time and said, we want to have an exhibition with you. I'm so grateful to her for what she taught me on creating an exhibition, on what I needed to do to to be even better. And there is constantly room for, for improvement. And that's something that we should be humble enough. And I think humbleness is really important to be humble in relationship to one's own limitations, humble in relationship to, okay, saying, yes, I really want this. I am eager. I am passionate. I do have this drive of success embracing it and saying there's nothing wrong with that but also being humble and accepting okay if this doesn't happen if this doesn't work out I need a backup plan you know and not being afraid to accept okay I didn't succeed don't call it failure say okay I didn't succeed but I'm still able to do other things you know I'm still able to achieve other things in my life as well Yeah, yeah and not to just and that's something where it's interesting the way that I function is constantly, okay, I've done this exhibition, it's been a success, now I'm ready to go on to the next thing. I don't want to just stay in that success and say, okay, this is what I've done because my my drive is to constantly be better, constantly improve, be a better human being, yeah. be a better photographer, you know, come out with better exhibitions, things that can open people's hearts if possible because we really need it. In this day and age, we really need it. There's so many people who are driven by you know, making, you know, making more money, becoming millionaires, but we need more love. We really do. We need more compassion in this world, not more money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Mm. I agree. And it's a tough one because, you know, you, you, you need more compassion in the world um, and people to, to, to push humanity forward and to scale their ideas. They need the money because we live in, you know, an economic system that requires that. So you got to find that balance of somehow to look at your mission and say, how do I fund my mission? How do I keep it alive? Right. And keep moving forward. And sometimes just so people know when they're listening, like that means you might have to work a job and then do your, your mission on the side. Right. Until something else happens. I mean, that's the way a lot of people go. I mean, I, I interviewed a guy a couple weeks ago who runs a $30 million a year media platform. And that was his second platform. And the first one, he said, you know, he sold it for $200 million, but him and four, three buddies started it and they had to work on the side and they did this, you know, at night in the morning, stuff like that. So that's just, you know, sometimes you have to self-fund if there's, a, mm-hmm. you know, especially early stages, you can't really get an investor in your idea if you don't have a particular you know, growth, um, you know, a pattern established and stuff like that. So just so people know, the reality is a lot of us will wake up at 4 a.m. or work late at night and we have to do it around uh, other things, you know. Yeah. I mean, this, this, the, the beauty of it is that you're doing something that you enjoy. Like, I love what I do. I love doing the photography. I, I mean, sometimes there'll be times where I'm not earning any money at all, but I love what I do. There's... I'm learning so much yeah. every single day and it's, you know, I decide my own working hours, etc. There's a, you know, there's, there's uh, that, that's a benefit in itself, but there's also something about being able to create. There's something being able to move people to affect people, which I think that I wouldn't have been able to do if I'd continued in the job that I was doing before, yeah. which obviously I will not be applying for again in case I end up in another accident. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that maybe the universe is telling me don't go there again. Yeah, right. But, you, know. you know, 
but um, but you know, I mean, if you look at if you look at Bill Gates, for example, yeah. you know, I mean, what's he doing with his Bill Gates Foundation? They're giving away their funding. They're giving away their money yeah. to help other people for the betterment of society, the betterment of the world. And it comes to a point where okay, you earn that. There's so so much money, but there's also that thing with we eventually come to that point where we have to give back as well. Yeah, you know the worst of the worst mm-hmm. of the world. Even um, you know um, a- a- what's his name, a- Andrew Carnegie, and uh, mm. you know all these people that you know a lot of people hate, but they're like the founding fathers of entrepreneurship back in the day. Um, mm. You know Rockefeller, you know, and all that kind of stuff. The Vanderbilts, they ended up you know getting so much wealth, um, but at some point they were like. I have to give the, some. I have to give this back, and that's when they started creating mm-hmm. libraries and all these mm-hmm. other big things to give back mm-hmm. to people. So, mm-hmm. um, while they definitely capitalized on markets that are kind of damaging t- today, mm-hmm. um, they did mm-hmm. propel us forward back then. And at the end of their ego trip, they did discover the fact and the importance of giving back. And you know, those mm-hmm. things do happen. But, you know, mm. it's interesting when you look at those people, because what made me think of it was when you mentioned Bill Gates, because there's a lot of hate towards him on certain things like vaccines. And, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I'm like, yeah. you know, we all have to really put things into perspective and really try not to make assumptions about people that you don't know, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, there's, there's also this thing about being able to, you know, giving back. I mean, I wouldn't mind making one million. Seriously, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind at all. I mean, it would probably, you know, solve an awful lot of my problems. Of course. But I think, you know, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that either. Make as much money as you can. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, unfortunately, we're living in in the kind of world where you need money to be able to survive. You also need a status as well for people to notice you. And I feel that with the, like now I, I just recently won the Oslo City Art Prize, which is unbelievable. You know, I never thought that would happen either. And it wasn't something that I expected. Mm. And, um, and what I want to do now is I want to use the knowledge that I have to help other people to also succeed. So what I'm hoping for now is to be able to get some funding to start a, a community uh, website so then other people can also gain from the insight that I have and other people too. Yeah. So we have like a whole network. Sure. Um, and, and I think that this is... It, it's. You know, we shouldn't forget, I mean, I don't want to put down people that have that dream of becoming super successful and driving, you know, a a great car or, you know, buying a big house. Yeah, sure, that's great as well. But we're living in a time and an age where uh, there is so much poverty and there's, you know, we've got climate change, which is an enormous, massive impact on, on the world globally that we need to work with. This is... This is some of the responsibility that we have as human beings, not just for ourselves now, but for the coming generation. So we need to be more uh, focused on long-term, you know, effect yeah. of the of the work that we do um, instead of just ourselves and what we want. And I think that this individualistic type of attitude isn't going to get us very far in the world that we're living in. No, mm. no. And it's, it is an evolving cultural mindset. But you also have people out there, like we interviewed Tony Robbins, and he said, listen, mm. you know, when you define success, it's about a state of gratitude, but also, you know, the your labor is the most sacred gift you can give, he said. He's like, so, you know, play for something bigger than yourself. 
Um, exactly. And you're going to hear this from successful people over and over is it, it, if you focus on giving and not like what you're getting out of it, uh, you're going to find a lot more success. But it's it's a really hard mindset for people to to accept and actually believe wholeheartedly. They might understand the concept, but they're not. You have to really believe it in your core and see the results of that giving um, mm. to really get there, right? So mm. I, I think that you know having the fancy cars and all those things is fine, and people can do that. But that's only here's the thing. It's only part of success, right? Success is having a healthy family, a healthy body, taking care of yourself like that way, mind, body, family. And then you have your, are you contributing to something better in the world and having a mission in your life, meaning you're living with a real purpose that's meaningful and fulfilling. And then yes, you have money. So there's multiple uh, pillars to success. It's not just Mm -hmm. one thing that you put it all on. So I think people have to understand the full spectrum of human need and that is success. So you got to, when people said I work harder and I put in these hours, it's really about not just putting in hours to work, work, work. It's putting in hours to work, family, mm-hmm. um, yourself, right? All these things. So yeah. It's a major consideration. I think it, we're evolving towards more of this, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think so too. And I think that, you know, a lot of the people that you've interviewed uh, so far, have touched a lot on these issues as well. And it is something that we learn from experience as well, that okay, these things here didn't really give us happiness, but giving more from the heart really did. And and let's say, for example, like when you mentioned the fact that I had written to you, because, you know, I got received this email saying, can you share your story? And I thought, all oh, right, he's probably not going to read it. That was my first reaction. <laughs> and, and I just sent it. I just thought, okay, you know what? I have to give. I have to tell my story. And I just sent it out there. And I was really surprised that it came back with, would you like an interview? you know yeah and uh, and that was me also sharing my story and not feeling like this was just mine to share if it could actually inspire other people because i know there's an awful lot of people out there as well who want to do so much that may be suffering from some kind of disabilities of some sort that there is there are possibilities out there and you do need that team of people behind you as well that are backing you up and giving you the help and support that you need and mm. and i think that you know especially when the second time i had the accident um, I really was suicidal at that point. But looking out and helping other people in many ways saved me. That prevented me from tipping over because at right. that point I thought I would never be able to function again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but but that, that really drove me. And even now when I'm sitting here talking to you, I have immense pain, but this pain I embrace and just say it's with me all the time and there's no point in fighting it. It's just going to be there you know, uh, probably until the day I die and that's just the way it is. But I'm going to try and do the best that I can with what I can do within my limits, you know. Well, maybe one day your doctor will be able to prescribe you a joint a day <laughs> to help with your pain. <laughs> uh, I hear it helps. <laughs> oh, man. Well, um, so I, one of my final things I just like to ask, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think we covered it, but I just want to call it out specifically, um, you know, in, in the, in the past five years of your life, what would you say has been the biggest contributing factor to, uh, the progress and success that you have had? Sheer stubbornness. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, sheer stubbornness and 
you know, those little voices that you have telling you that you can't and just saying, yes, I can. Um, you know, when somebody said that this was impossible or, you know, this wouldn't happen, I don't know where I got the strength from, but it was just, you know, yes, I can. I can do it. I don't know if Obama had anything to do with this, but <laughs> def definitely there was this voice that was telling me that you're worth more than this, that you can do better. You know, there's constantly pushing myself to be better, do better. And like I said, um, not closing doors to opportunities or people that I would meet along the way. Yeah. It was to be as open as possible and as honest as possible as well, you know. Yeah. Um, I would say that those things were really important. I mean, I, I could have easily said, you know, that, you know, my, uh, I had this fantastic mentor along the way, but because I didn't let people know that I was behind the Human Devolzo project until much later on, I worked very much, you know, within four walls, basically, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, um, okay. so, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to hear people's responses to that. Um, so, mm. listen, I, I appreciate your time here, and I really appreciate you reaching out, and I'm glad to uh, have connected, and, uh, I, and I'm happy that we're able to share your story. It is a powerful story, and you've, you've been through a lot, and I think there's a lot that people can um, from learn from you about overcoming these challenges and kind of, you know what, making things happen. You are the, uh, the creator of your life, so it's up to you, and... Uh, to overcome any kind of circumstance you're in, right? And I think you've done a great Absolutely. job. Absolutely. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So listen, reach out anytime if you need anything, and uh, we will talk soon. I also, I, oh yeah, I almost forgot. Let's give. How do people connect with you? What if Hello? they have quite? Yeah. Can you hear me? Are you there? Yes, I can hear you. Okay. Mm -hmm. how yeah. do, so how do people connect with you? We almost forgot that part. So how do people connect with you um, if they have questions? And obviously, guys, we're going to post this up on the website when the interview goes live. You can always leave comments there. But uh, if it is there, I think you have your own website or and stuff. Is anywhere you want to direct people? Yeah, they can contact me on Humans of Oslo. I think that's probably the best place to contact me. Um, and then I can uh, send them my, my email address as well. So if they send me, you know, drop me a line there, yeah. then I can contact them directly. Awesome. So it's mm. humansofoslo.com or... Or Humans of Oslo, the Facebook page would probably be okay. easier. Okay. So mm. guys, you just I just did a search for Humans of Oslo. And the Facebook page will come right up, so you could check that out. Um, if it is super cool and helpful, so reach out if you have questions and you want some inspiration. Um, if it, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we will talk soon. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Got you. it. Bye bye. Bye. That's all for this episode. Your next step is to join the Change Creator Revolution by downloading our interactive digital magazine app for premium content, exclusive interviews, and more ways to stay on top of your game. Available now on iTunes and Google Play. Or visit changecreatormag.com. We'll see you next time where money and meaning intersect right here at the Change Creator Podcast. Change Creator Podcast.